Today is the final message in the series we've been looking at for four weeks and today's five I think on relevant church talking about looking at the scriptures to see about what we need to do to be a relevant church to connect with the community around us and reach them for Christ and also then but to be sure that we are secure in the scriptures and that we're true to the scriptures and to the gospel message and that we don't sacrifice anything. And all of this has been driven around our mission statement. And that mission statement we put before you many different times is connecting people with Christ, growing in faith, and going to serve and disciple. So in the series so far, we refresh that for a few moments, uh, we have looked at the, the church and its origin and the power uh, of the Holy Spirit because without the power of the Holy Spirit, all of our plans would just be nothing. We wouldn't have the power of God's Holy Spirit to see them through. And then we've talked about that Jesus is the, the foundation of the church, the rock-solid foundation of the church. We are built upon Him as the foundation. And because of that, we are secure, and we can be uh, uh, aggressive in attacking the gates of hell. And so we, we, we're sure about that. We also talked about then to make sure and uphold in all truthfulness that Jesus Christ is indeed the Lord of the church. We won't sacrifice that, that He is the Lord of the church. And last week we talked about the need for passion, that we have to be passionate about following the Lord Jesus Christ, being a disciple and passionate about fulfilling the mission and purpose of the church. And today we're going to focus about the, the, the purpose of the church. And it's wrapped up in, in uh, the passage of Scripture from 2 Timothy 2 where Paul is writing to Timothy to talk to him about that he needs him to come to him because Paul is in Rome in prison and he needs Timothy to leave the church in Ephesus where Paul had left him ministering there and taking care of a situation that was there in the church in Ephesus and he needs him to be able to leave people there who can take care of the church and continue to lead the church and make sure that the church in Ephesus survives and that it thrives and so that then Timothy would be free to come and be with Paul. And in that we find not only a personal challenge to Timothy and not only a personal challenge to us, but we find the purpose of the church. So look with me at 2 Timothy chapter 2 beginning in verse 1 and we'll read through verse 13. Paul writes and says, You then my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not changed. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying, if, he died with, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Now there we find Paul writing to Timothy with a clear purpose in mind. 
And it's a clear message to the church about what our purpose is. And we have to not only have a passion in life, but we have to have a purpose so that that passion is driven by a purpose. Uh, I think about this, this past Monday, we celebrated uh, Columbus Day. And for most people, it wasn't a time to reflect about Christopher Columbus, but it was a, a day that many office buildings were, were closed and a lot of people had, had a day off. We're just celebrating a day off. But Christopher Columbus, you know, was the one who was a, one of the first to explore, thinking that there's a new world out there and sail some many different voyages. And the interesting thing is, is that in his journals, he reveals that one of the primary purposes and motives for his sailing was his Christian convictions, that he wanted to take those to the new world. In fact, in one of his journals, he opens on the first joy voyage by saying, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in a letter that he wrote to Rafael Sanchez, who was the treasurer for Ferdinand and Isabella, who financed his journey, uh, he says, I named the first of these islands that he had discovered San Salvador. You know what San Salvador means? I've heard it all my life, you know, calling it San Salvador. What San Salvador means? It means Holy Savior. So Columbus named that island Holy Savior, San Salvador. He said, thus bestowing upon it the name of our Holy Savior under whose protection I made the discovery. No wonder then that he named the other, one of the other islands Trinidad, and that's named in honor of the Trinity, Trinidad. Many times Columbus failed in what he did, and he thought that he absolutely was a failure because he, didn't, get what he well, didn't find what he wanted to find when he set out. But think about his life. He was the first to explore uncharted seas to the west. In four voyages, he discovered the Bahamas, Hispaniola, Cuba, Dominica, Guadalupe, Jamaica, Central America, and South America. He was a man who was driven not only by passion, but a purpose. There's a lesson in that for us. If we're going to be a relevant church and reach our community, we have to be true to the gospel, and we have to understand what our purpose is and why we need passion to drive that purpose. Our purpose as a church is to make believers is to help believers come to maturity in the faith, to make disciples then. That's why a part of our, our mission statement is growing in faith, because that's how we grow and mature and go beyond mere believing to becoming a mature disciple. That was in the mandate of the great commission that Jesus gave to the disciples. He said, go, and as you go, make disciples of all the nations, teaching them and baptizing them. And he said, lo, I'm with you to the end of the age. Paul not only had a vision for this as he wrote to Timothy here, but at least in two other places. In Colossians 1, 28 and 29, he had that same vision for making disciples. I, think, I really think this passage of Scripture could have been Paul's uh, mission statement for his life. Because he said, we proclaim him, that's Christ that we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, I labor struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. What was the purpose he saw? And that was to present people mature in Christ. Then he wrote to the church in Ephesus. In Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, we read these words. Where Paul says, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. To do what? 
to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What was the reason Paul said that there were apostles and teachers and evangelists in the church? It was to lead people to maturity, to lead them to maturity in our scripture today. Paul writes to young Timothy, he called his son, about being committed to the purpose of maturity so that his life would make a difference and he could leave a legacy of faith in the lives of other people as he invested in them, mentored them, discipled them, taught them what he had been taught by Paul about the gospel and about the scriptures and left them then as mature believers to lead that church. Now, as we unwrap this passage of Scripture, thinking about the purpose of the church, we'll see that Paul shares five insights about that purpose, how we achieve it. Building lives that will last. And he talks about that there are four commandments, and then he gives one promise. So quickly, let's look at them. First of all, he says, if you're going to build a life that lasts, if you're going to leave a legacy, you've got to find strength in God's resources. In verse 1, he said, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We need to make sure we understand what Paul is saying. We need to be strong in our faith. We need to grow in our faith. We need to mature in our faith. But we don't do that on our strength. We don't do that only on our strength. We have to have the strength and energy to exert in that, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But our strength actually comes from God. The the actual reading of the Greek language would say, let yourself be strengthened or let yourself be empowered. So we have to understand that that strength and empowerment that enables us to grow to maturity is God's power at work in our life. It's found through the grace of Jesus Christ. And so here's the first insight that Paul gives to us about our purpose. And he says, if you want to live lives built to last, We need to find our strength in God's resources. We have to plug into the power of God in our life. It's like a power tool. It will not work unless you plug it into the source of the power. And then that power tool is able to fulfill its created purpose. And the same thing is true with us. Only when we are empowered with God's resources will we leave a mark that lasts. Will we have an influence upon other lives And will we leave a legacy of faith behind? The second thing Paul says is in verse 2. And he challenges us to multiply influence through others. He says, the things you have heard from me say in the presence of many witnesses, trust and trust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. I remember Paul is in prison. He's chained, he says, like a criminal. He needs Timothy to come to him at this point because Paul senses that his life is near its end. He's probably feeling the pressure that his life will come to an end pretty quickly. And he needs Timothy to come to him so that he can have more time to pour into Timothy and Timothy can carry on the gospel. But you remember Timothy is in Ephesus for a specific purpose and that is to deal with a problem that's there. And so for Timothy to leave Ephesus, he had to have mature people that he could leave there to take care of that and make sure that the church was still being led and that people would grow to maturity. 
So notice what Paul says to him. He says, the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Key word there is entrust. Entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. If you read that verse carefully, you'll see that Paul talks about four generations of believers. Paul heard the gospel, dramatic conversion on the Damascus Road. Paul poured that gospel message into Timothy, and Timothy believed. Then Timothy is to entrust that message to others who are worthy of hearing it and who will hear and respond and grow to maturity. And then they are to gather themselves around other people and teach them and pour themselves into other people and lead them to maturity as disciples. So Paul gives us that insight that says if we want to live lives built to last, we need to multiply our influence through other people. See, we develop mature believers and we build spiritual lives that last as we invest our lives in others with the faithful teaching of the gospel. That's how we lead people to grow in their faith. That's how we make disciples according to what Jesus said. That we invest our lives in others. And then the third thing that Paul says is we must be willing to pay the price. There's a price to be paid. It, it's, it's costly. It takes time and effort and energy. And that's what Paul says. He says in, in verses 3 through 7, he says, Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. And the hardworking farmer should be first to receive a share of the crops. So he says, reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into this. Paul doesn't sugarcoat the purpose and what it will take to fulfill that purpose. He said you have to be willing to endure hardship. You have to be willing to put forth energy and effort if you're going to be successful in fulfilling the purpose given to the church. When he says endure hardship, he's saying take the difficult road. The road less traveled, but you will make a difference. And then he gives us three word pictures, three examples he talks first of all about a soldier enduring hardship, and we know that they do. They go through rigorous training constantly. Uh, they're out in all kinds of weather exposed to the elements, and when they're in battle, they're under the stress of battle and always uh, exposed to danger. And he says the soldiers don't get involved in other affairs. They are singly focused on their purpose to please their commanding officer, and that literally reads in the Greek that they, that they will be pleasing to the one who recruited them because in that day, the generals would go and they would recruit the soldiers that they wanted in their, in their units. The second example Paul gives is that of an athlete who competes in the Olympic Games. And we know there's a great deal of training that goes into that. And Paul says, you're not going to receive the crown unless you train. And you've got to train in the right way. We have rules today that govern the training and, and what you can and can't do in terms of training. You can't take any kind of performance-enhancing drugs. That disqualifies you. But we know something about what our athletes go through the train for these Olympics. They sacrifice years of their life and the labor of their life so that they can be successful and be crowned as a victor. See, being a follower of Jesus Christ is, is like an athlete who trains according to the standards 
of competition. Then the third picture it gives is that of a farmer. Farmers have to work so hard uh, preparing the ground for the, for the seed and then planting the seed and then cultivating that and waiting for the harvest to come. And so the insight Paul gives to us is this. If we want to live a life that's built to last, we must be willing to pay the price. And isn't that true with anything that's worth having in life? If you want a college degree, you've got to work hard for it. If you want to advance at work and be successful, you have to work hard at it. You want to be successful in school, you have to work hard at it. If you want to be successful in your marriage, you have to put forth effort and work hard at it. Anything in life that's worth having takes effort. And Paul says one of the most important things, if not the most important thing, is, is building lives that last for the glory of God. And you have to put forth the effort. You have to make sure you're willing to pay that price and endure whatever hardship it is to see that you make disciples of people as mature believers. Then the fourth thing that Paul says is center life around Jesus. That makes sense, doesn't it? If we're going to be mature believers striving towards the, the measure of the stature of Jesus Christ, then we've got to center our life around Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says in verses 8 through 10. He says, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. That's pointing back about an affirmation of Jesus, that he, he was the descendant of David, fulfilling a promise that God gave, a covenant that there would always be a descendant of David on the throne. And Jesus then was a descendant of David. And he sits on the throne now, but he is also the, the resurrection, resurrected Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descended from David. And Paul says, then this is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not changed. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The focus is on the resurrection of Jesus and the power and the word of Jesus. And he's saying, remember Jesus Christ and center your life around Jesus Christ. The insight that Paul gives us is this. If you want to live a life that's built to last, we need to center our lives around Jesus. In other words, Jesus who is Lord... And one day will be declared as every knee bows and every tongue confesses is Lord. He is Lord now and we don't make him anything. But we have to allow him to be the Lord of our life. And when we do that, we center our life around Jesus Christ. For the vast majority of those who claim to be believers though, I believe what we do is that we still have our mission and our purpose and our goal, whatever it is, me, at the center of our life. And Jesus is somewhere out there on the peripheral edge, and he's just added to our life as something else. That sounds good. I love the teachings of Jesus. I love the scriptures. I don't care that much about the church, but I love Jesus. Well, you can't love Jesus without loving his bride. And to love Jesus means that you bring him into your life and you allow him to be the very center of your life. And from there you find your purpose, you find your direction in life, and you find your power in life. And if you don't have Jesus Christ as the center of your life, then there's going to be a constant battle in your life as to who is going to be in control of your life. 
And so Paul says, remember Jesus Christ. He's the risen Savior. He is seated on the throne. He is Lord. Center your life around him. If you want to have a life that's built to last, center your life around Jesus Christ. And then the fifth thing he says is be committed to finishing well. In verses 11 through 13, he closes by saying, here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. And then he says, interestingly, if we disown him, he will also disown us. And if we are faithless, he will remain faithful for he cannot disown himself. Many Bible scholars who write commentaries about this believe that these trustworthy sayings were slogans that were popular in the early church and might have even been sung as a part of their worship experience. But in these trustworthy sayings, it's a set of four conditional statements. If we do this, then he does this. The first conditional statement is if we died with Jesus, we will also live with Jesus. He's talking about our salvation experience. Where we die to self, we die to sin, and we find our life in Christ. We're buried with him in baptism, and we're identified with Jesus Christ. And baptism is symbolic of doing away with the old life that it dies. The second conditional statement that's a promise is that we will reign with Jesus if we endure. That's a word, endure, that means not never giving up, but persevering when you feel like giving up. And then the third conditional statement warns us that if we disown Jesus, he would disown us. It means to repudiate. New Testament calls it apostasy, falling away from the faith. I don't believe that anybody who really has had a life-transforming experience with Jesus Christ can possibly fall away from the faith. But we have all seen people who have made decisions, been baptized, been a part of a church, who for some reason fall out and fall away, don't we? And you'll never see them again. Did they commit apostasy or were they just not ever saved to begin with? I think they just never were saved to begin with. My systematic theology professor at Southern Seminary, Dr. Dale Moody, I think expressed it very well when he said, a faith that fizzles at the finish had a flaw at the first. In other words, if they don't make it to the end, they never had faith to begin with. And then the last conditional statement is a promise of God's faithfulness even when we are not faithful. And we prove to be unfaithful in a lot of different things. It doesn't mean that we denounce the faith. It doesn't mean that we give up. It's just that we prove to be unfaithful in a lot of things. Maybe you don't always tithe. Maybe you don't always share the gospel when you have an opportunity. Maybe you don't always speak up for Christ when you have an opportunity to do that. Maybe you don't acknowledge yourself as a believer in a crowd of unbelievers because you're fearful of the repercussions. We're unfaithful in a lot of different ways. But Paul reminds us that even when we're unfaithful, Christ is faithful. God is faithful. So if you want to live a life that's built to last, Paul would say, don't give up. Persevere. Endure. So here it is, the purpose of the church, wrapped up in this letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. It's about making mature believers. It's about making disciples for the glory of God. That's the purpose of the church. 
And we find in here that if we want to live a life that will last and leave a legacy, then we have to get our strength from God's source of strength. We have to multiply our influence in the lives of other people. We have to be willing to pay the price. We have to center our life around the good news of Jesus Christ. And we persevere no matter what the cost. And we never, ever give up. That's how we fulfill the purpose of this church. That's how we're both relevant and real to a community that needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. To that end, to that purpose, may we commit our life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the words of Scripture today that challenge us. Thank you for inspiring the Apostle Paul to write these words. Thank you for the message that it challenges us with. Help us to to build our life so that it will last and leave a legacy and help us to pour our life into others so that they can grow to maturity in faith, so that we can make disciples of one another, so that we can live for your glory and fulfill your purpose for this church and for all churches that you claim is yours. Father, may we do that to your glory through your power and your power only for the glory of your name through Jesus Christ. Amen.